What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wadham. As a children's literature expert, I'm always keeping my eye on awards for children's books. While sometimes I agree with those who picked the award, and other times I don't, the award winners are a great place to start finding some good books. A recent pick for the American Library Association's Newbery Award that I agree was well-deserving of the award is The Girl Who Drank the Moon by Kelly Barnhill. Each year, the protectorate sacrifices a baby— But what the townspeople don't know is that the kind witch Zan safely retrieves them all. The year she retrieves Luna, Zan realizes only she can guide a child infused with moon magic and she takes her home. Back in the protectorate, young Antian begins to question the sacrifices as he sees Luna's mother driven to madness from loss. And it is his son next marked for the witch. As the pair set out to put an end to the sacrifices, Luna nears her 13th birthday, and the magic long suppressed within her tries to break free. So as Zan travels to retrieve the newest baby, Luna follows, and everyone's fates intertwine as secrets are revealed that show the real witch may be closer than expected. This novel is rich with a thoughtfully complex plot and characters. Told through various points of view, the setting also shifts as each character takes up the story, making an intricate narrative that richly builds to allow all the disparate parts to come together in a satisfying conclusion. The tone of this book is like a lovely fairy tale with a modern sensibility and the unique character types add interest and a touch of humor that connects well to the themes of family and belonging. While the plot flows well, it is not action-packed, so it will appeal more to readers who prefer a more thoughtful approach that slowly reveals the truth expressed in this amazing story. So if you are looking for an amazing award-winning fantasy, I'd urge you to check out The Girl Who Drank the Moon, not only on the recommendation of the Newberry Committee, but also on our recommendation here at Rachel's World. What encourages learning? Catching and correcting all a learner's mistakes, or catching that learner doing something right. Dr. Roxanne Owens, chair of the Teacher Education Department at DePaul University, Chicago, talks to Rachel on Worlds Awaiting about helping children find joy in reading through more encouragement and less criticism. She also suggests that reading together as a family can put a positive spin on the child's desire to read. Owens has been a faculty member at DePaul for 25 years. Prior to that, she taught junior high in Chicago. Her present duties include teaching the children's literature course and spending time in elementary schools with her university students. Owens is a recipient of multiple awards for excellence in teaching and was inducted into the Illinois Reading Council Hall of Fame in 2012. Here's Dr. Roxanne Owens with Rachel Wadham. We're on the phone with Roxanne today. Welcome to the show, Roxanne. Well, thank you very much. 
I am so interested in what you have to share with us today. One of the things that you talk about is helping our children find joy in reading. That concept of finding joy in what we do is just so intriguing to me. So to start out, tell us a little bit about how do we help our children find joy in reading? Well, I think one of the most important things we can do is to try not to make it a chore to try not to make it like it's, you know, hard work. We don't want to make it like another uh, drudgery thing for kids to do, like, oh, you know, you must learn this, and it's, it's terribly hard to do. So not make it like it's a, it's a hard thing to do, and make it like it's a pleasant thing to do. Why do you think it is that we do often make reading a chore? I think particularly when we talk about it in schools, but why why do you think it is we do that as adults? I think because we get very worried about um, it being tested and assessed, and we worry about, uh, we automatically go to a place of, well, if it's something that's going to be tested, then we better make sure that you're really good at it. And so so we, uh, we start worrying about it uh, in preschool. You know, so so at the time that kids are, at the time they're supposed to be learning to play with letters and have fun with sounds and letters, we all we all of a sudden start worrying about, oh my gosh, they're in preschool and they don't know the alphabet yet. They're not going to get into Harvard. Um, so so we start getting concerned and stressed about it, and then kids feel that stress. And whether or not they succeed is not really up to their reading. To me, it's about finding that joy in the reading is actually what's going to make it successful. So to me, it's kind of this odd dichotomy where we are we are wanting them to be successful, but we're doing the exact opposite of things that we should to make them successful. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, think one thing to think about is... Um, you know, when, when your child is learning to, to talk, for instance, um, we, we get so excited about them learning to talk. So any little sound that they make, you know, if they go, ba ba ba, we go, ah, <laughs> they're talking and, you know, they're saying bottle, bottle, they're saying baby, they're saying, you know, any little sound they make, ma, ma, they're saying mama. And so we get so excited and we, we just encourage it. And then when they start to learn to read, you know, initially we get really excited about like, oh, they recognize the letter A, they recognize the letter B, and that, and, and we get very excited about it. But then suddenly we start to get worried about mistakes that they're making. And instead of continuing that excitement and that encouragement, we start to focus on the mistakes that they're making. So when they're learning to read, they're going to make mistakes. But if we focus on encouraging them, they're going to be successful. We just have to remember to focus on the positives and not keep on focusing on the mistakes that they're making. I really appreciate that the way you talk about this uses such powerful positive words. You talk about joy, you talk about warmth, and you talk about success in a way that is really positive and empowering. And I think just that slight switch in our thinking is a great way to approach this. If we move more from a mistake-driven or a testing-driven or a high-stakes kind of conception to more of a joyful, loving, warm conception of what we should do. That just makes it all the more empowering for us and our children, don't you think? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the other thing to remember is that nobody really likes to do anything if they feel like they're they're not successful at it or they feel like um it's not it's not fun and so when we start to put that kind of pressure on kids uh, you know now it's time to practice your reading or now you know now it's time to sit down and uh, and read and we make it something that's that's drudgery, eh, it's not something the kid's going to look forward to doing. So making it something that's more of, you know, something the family does together, and this is this is something that we all do and we enjoy it, um, that, that puts a whole different spin on it. That's an excellent tip that we can bring our families together to do this and to bring that kind of warmth and joy into our reading. What are some other tips or techniques that you could offer us to help us assure that our kids are really associating reading with these joyful, warm experiences? I think the um, one of the, the acronym that I always uh, use with parents is this acronym PEACE. Um, which stands for making sure that the the literacy experience in your home is pleasant, interesting, engaging, and challenging enough. So you want all the literacy experiences in your home to be positive. You want them. You want the kids in your family to associate all literacy experiences. And literacy actually is four things. Literacy isn't just reading. Literacy is listening, speaking, reading, and writing. So anytime that you're engaging in talking with your children, having them listening to things, um, and and uh, doing any kind of reading or writing in the home, you're engaging in literacy experiences with them. So any of those, you want them to be pleasant. You want them to be interesting. You want them to be engaging. And you do want to push them a little bit, but you don't want to get them into any kind of a frustrating situation. Thank you so much for extending our definition of literacy. That's definitely the definition of literacy we embrace here on this show. And I think that it really is helpful to understand that not only is literacy broader than sometimes we make it out to be, but this conception of sharing, I also think is pretty critical. Because sometimes I think when we look at literacy, we don't understand the interactive or social component that goes into literacy, particularly literacy in our families, we may Mm -hmm. not understand that this is something we need to share together. And I think that that really helps with those engaging and interesting pieces of your PEACE acronym is to have that sharing. So what role do you see as that sharing connected kind of piece play in making these techniques really work? One of the things that people often are unaware of is how important that sharing is. I think you, you are right on target with the, the, the need for the sharing. Um, literacy is a communal event. It's not, you know, we, we often think of reading as you sit alone in a room. And so, you know, and, and that's all, that the, the, the reading is an isolated event. But really it's not. It really is about um you know, sharing, sharing your your writing, sharing your thinking. Um, so that's why I think book clubs are so important. I think uh, blogging is so popular. It's all about being able to share 
what you think and finding out what other people think. It's about learning about different perspectives. Um, uh, so I, I think the whole, the reason that literacy is so powerful is because that's how we learn about ourselves. It's how we learn about others. It's how we learn about um, the world around us. There's a saying about multicultural literacy literature, and it's how it it, it kind of gives you a window into yourself and a, and a window into the world around you, and it helps you to really see beyond yourself and into others. Um, you know, you can't travel around the world when you're eight years old, but you certainly can by looking at, at a book. So the key with the sharing of the literacy activities is the, the back and forth that happens. Roxanne, this is so insightful. Thank you so much. I appreciate how you break these things down into very kind of simple, direct ways for us to understand how literacy can be of a greater impact in our families. Well, Roxanne, thank you again. This has been wonderful. And I truly appreciate your passion and dedication to a field that I also am passionate and dedicated to. I, I love I love being in this field because it's just so wonderful to share my love and joy for books and reading and literacy with, with so many other wonderful people all over the country. Well, thank you so much. Literacy expert Dr. Roxanne Owens of DePaul University in Chicago addressing how to help children find joy in reading through more encouragement and less criticism. Up next on Worlds Awaiting, high school teacher Angela Netterhand talks with Rachel about her passion in life, books. She gives titles of some of her favorite books and genres. Netterhand is a TV broadcasting teacher at Salem Hills High School in Utah. Previously, she taught leadership principles and worked with multicultural students to find opportunities to serve the community. She studied at both Westminster College and Utah Valley University. Here's Rachel and Angela Netterhand. I'm in studio today with Angela. Welcome, Angela. Thank you. Well, let's chat books. I know this is a passion we both share, so so let's, let's chat something about just our favorites and let the audience know some of the things we love we love about them. So let's start. What is, what is it that you like to read? I love to read sci-fi and fantasy, but I didn't start out as a fantasy reader. Okay, tell us, tell so us the change. I started yeah. out as, a, as, in fact, the first sci-fi book I read was in eighth grade. I was thinking about this last night. Uh, it was Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, and I fell in love with that series. I read every single book in high school and just thought sci-fi was where cool reading was at. <laughs> I did read Harry Potter, but I could never get into fantasy. I just couldn't get over talking dragons. That just like was not my thing. So I, I just was really skeptical about it. And then I met my husband, and he is a huge, avid fantasy reader. And he slowly started introducing me to these awesome fantasy novels, which I totally fell in love with. Um, he started me on The Name of the Wind with Patrick Rothfuss. Wonderful Such book. a great book. Such a great book. And not very familiar to a lot of people. No, no. it's not over overly um, known. So 
I loved Quoth, and we're, I mean, we're thinking about naming one of our children Quoth and the middle name. (laughs) (laughs) You know you're a true fantasy geek when the names start coming from the novels. (laughs) So true. So, I mean, we just love that, that tale, and I love the storytelling. And I've recently finished a book that reminds me a lot of that book. So if people know it and they liked it, they might want to check out the Dawn of Wonder by Jonathan Renshaw. Have you heard Very about this book? Very good book, yes. Um, it was so great. I just finished it, and it's it was such a great tale of epic. You you know the beginning is slow, and it takes a while to get into it. And I didn't I didn't like the writing at first. I thought it was a little cheesy. And then as it, it got going, it just developed into this wonderful story with all this incredible backstory and this depth of character that you could not. Uh, anticipate in the beginning. So I really enjoyed the journey of going through um, that book. I love that sense of it really is a journey. And that's that's one of the things I think particularly for science fiction and fantasy that it captures in a way that some of the other genres don't. Although they do take us on journeys, there is this wonderful sense in those genres of this of this journey. So is that part of what you like about it, this progression yeah. and journey? Or is, is there some other element that just really kind of stands out to you? I love the journey and I love the progression of the story. I, I like the suspense. But what I really love is seeing the characters make decisions. I love watching, you know, a character think through what's going to happen if I do this or or what or react to certain situations and see how they do. I just like seeing how they make their their choices along the way. And that's really interesting to me because when I talk to people a lot of times they say, "Oh, you know, fantasy, science fiction, those are the escapist genres. Yeah. Those are the ones that, you know, kind of have they have this lesser value for some reason." And I think for part of it is they think, "Oh, they're they're getting away from the real world. There's nothing about real life or the real world that is going to be indicative or or help me learn in this story. Hmm. But to me, the exact opposite is really true because this kind of problem solving and the things Mm -hmm. that we actually learn through these books with the trappings of the fantasy world actually make them in some ways easier to learn or we learn more deeply about these kinds of things. So so do you agree? Oh, I totally agree. Totally agree. I I mean, I read classics. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I love The Great Gatsby. That's one of my favorite classic books. And I loved... Jane Eyre, and I loved Great Expectations. So I've read classic books, and I've read more, and I love nonfiction as well. I, I There's a great book out there called The Female Brain, which is one of my favorite nonfiction books. So I read these other genres, but I just keep coming back to the fantasy because it does take, it does take me away, but at the same time, it helps me deal with my own problems. It gives me courage when I face a different, a difficult challenge, because if I can see a character work through something difficult and scary, then when I face it myself, I can kind of work through the same thing and know that it's going to pass. And there's a wonderful quote that I love um, that is essentially that, that it's that um, fantasy is worthwhile, not because it teaches children that dragons are real, but it teaches them that dragons can be beaten. Oh, that is such a great quote. Isn't it a great quote? Yeah, I think it's G.K. Chesterton of, of fantasy author that that had that quote. But I love that kind of sense that it's not really saying, oh, the magic is real or oh, elves mm-hmm. are real or any of that is really real. Mm-hmm. But the reality is that, that it can be beaten. These problems can be solved. And, and sometimes it's not necessarily the magic or the 
the things like that that get them out of the challenges, the great majority of it is their own pluck, their own focus, their own courage, their own mm-hmm. bravery. Those are really, if you look at the foundation of it, those are really the things that get them out of these troubles. Now, For they sure. may have tools or support that help them, but they really aren't the solution. Now, I think science fiction does similar things. I mean, because in some ways, there is kind of magic in science fiction. They may not be dragons and <laughs> right. that kind of imaginary things, but there's there's certainly that sense of, you know, the impossible and pushing yes. the boundaries that way. So, I mean, how do you how do you characterize between the two? Are you, now that you're a fan kind of of both, what mm. what kind of what kind of designations? I mean, if people were trying to say, okay, is this science fiction or is this fantasy? How would you make that designation between what makes them different? Mm. Tough questions. That I know I love to ask the question. tough questions. <laughs> <laughs> I am the tough would... interviewer. <laughs> Gosh, I, I don't think – I don't know if that's an important – distinction to me personally, because if you find the story enthralling, does it matter if it was fiction or if it was sci-fi? You know, does it matter? Does Or fantasy or sci-fi? And that's only because I've become more acquainted with fantasy. But in the beginning, it was an important distinction for me. I would not read a fantasy book. I just did not you know, so in when when you're a new reader or you're new to a genre, I think you feel like there's certain expectations that kind of like, for example, fantasy has an element of magic or it has some sort of um, thing that you have to. I didn't realize that it had the same depth of characters or that it had the same plot points. You know, I didn't realize that fantasy had all of the same elements that make a good sci-fi novel. So I think that it's more important to be open to having new experiences and to having new journeys. And if you're open to it, then um, you'll find that they're really similar. Bravo. And my listeners will think I coached you on that answer because that would have been my answer. (laughs) So I I did not coach you on that answer. But it really is true. And I think particularly today in today's market, um, genre is becoming so fluid that it's really impossible to tell where one starts and one ends. And that's one of the things, particularly when we work with kids, and particularly teen readers, I think, like middle school, high school, the kinds mm-hmm. of, of readers that that you work with, that what we really need to do is to get them to kind of expand their reading horizons mm-hmm. and then also figure out how to assess if a book meets their own yeah. reading tastes. Well, one of the books I haven't finished was Stephanie Meyer's Tragedies could not could not get over the poor writing. I just could not get over it. One of the things I would tell my students if if they were asking me this question is I would say make sure that it the sound of the book is something that you can relate to. If you know, if you can't get over the sounds of it or if you can't picture it, if you can't read it aloud in your mind, then maybe it's not at your level yet. Maybe it's not where you're comfortable. So find where you're comfortable and then of course Expand. Try try to challenge yourself and find. And you know, it's always good to to push yourself to reach new levels. As we kind of wrap up today, 
maybe speak to people who don't like science fiction and fantasy. You know, those <laughs> okay. there are some people out yes, there who there still are. don't think that there's a science fiction or fantasy <laughs> book that's for them. I would contend that there are hundreds of thousands oh, of different are. kinds of books in those genres, and there is something out there for you. But for sure. maybe tell us what you what advice you would give to someone who says, "Oh no, no, those genres aren't for me." Why they might want to pick one up. Oh, man. Just start with Name of the Wind. I would just say you've got to try this one book because everyone, regardless of whether or not you think sci-fi or fantasy is a good genre, you, people still love a good story. And that's the trick to sci-fi and, and fantasy of a really good – I mean really good novels in those genres have excellent storytelling uh principles and techniques and when you um fall when you fall into the story you can't help but just get swept away into this wonderful into this wonderful world where anything is possible and where you can maybe think through your own your own challenges in the back of your mind i love that's what i love about sci-fi and fantasy is it gives me new ideas for problem solving but they're never directly related to what the characters are going it more and if anything just gives me more hope that it can work out perfect way to end. So all of those people out there who don't think they like sci-fi and fantasy, I hope you now are thinking, okay, maybe I'll try it. So, try it. you know, get get your local librarian or some trusted friend who loves it and, yes. and find something you love too. Thank you so much, Angela. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. Thank you. Local high school teacher, Angela Netterhand, talking with Rachel about some of her favorite books. We finish up the show today with Cole Wissinger, part of the World's Awaiting team, who plays children's book trivia with students he encounters on the Brigham Young University campus. All right, I'm just sitting on the campus of BYU, right outside the library, asking some of the students that come and go some trivia questions about children's books. Here we go. In The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, one of the characters' names is Kanga, and she has a son named... Tigger? Question mark? I don't know. <laughs> Kanga, Kanga is a kangaroo, and her little son that lives in her pouch's oh, name is... Pig. Would it be Piglet? Am I... That's a pig. <laughs> Piglet's a pig. Tigger's a tiger. Roo. 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 Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Like kangaroo. Roo. <laughs> Very good. Right off the bat. Got it. Okay. I'm smart. Next, um, Dr. Seuss has written quite a few books, but one of his books contains only 50 unique words. Do you have a guess as to which one it would be? Pop on pop. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. It's a good guess, because he uses fish a lot, right? Oh, the places you'll go. That's a good one. Gordon, here's a who? Green eggs and ham. Green eggs and ham? I do not like green eggs and ham. It is. <laughs> yep. Nancy Drew had quite a popular children's detective series going on for a while. Do you have any guesses as to how many books were in the Nancy Drew series? 13. 17. 30? 32. Um, 32. I think I've had someone else guess 32. 50? I don't know. 53. That's a random number. <laughs> 73. I'm going to go with 100 and... 
25. There's 175. Oh gosh, that's a lot of books. I don't think I've read 175 books. Yeah, it actually, it ran from 1930 to 2003. And then finally, if you give a mouse a cookie, what might he ask for next? Milk. He'll ask for milk? A glass of milk? <laughs> I don't know. Better give him some milk, and then a whole bunch of other crazy stuff happens too. Is it a glass of milk? Yep. <laughs> Very good. Cole Wissinger, part of the World's Awaiting Team, playing children's book trivia with students on the BYU campus. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.